this morning or after the service and, and asked me, um, could you help me with some of the struggles that we've been having in our marriage? And I asked you, do you two have a, you have a date night? You have some kind of regular time when you're getting together and looking into each other's eyes and connecting and, and playing together. Have you got a rhythm like that in your life? I imagine you might shift a little uncomfortably in your seat, but you'd consider that a pretty fair question. If you came to me and you said, you know, Dan, our family life is feeling a little chaotic these days. The kids are going here and we're going there. and It just seems like we've lost whatever it was that held us together. And I said to you, do you have a practice of eating family meals together, gathering around the table, giving thanks to God for his grace? praying together, reflecting on how he is blessing you? Is that a regular rhythm in your life? Again, you might respond by grinding your teeth, but you'd figure that was a pretty good question, I imagine. In like fashion, should you uh, find yourself struggling with your golf game, and for some strange reason you chose me to ask about that? And I would say to you, well, have you talked to a golf pro about your grip on the club, because Bill Sheehan, three-time senior amateur uh, winner that's a member of our Board of Trees set, Trustees, says that that is exactly where the whole game begins, with your grip. If I asked you whether you'd consulted anybody about your grip, chances are you'd think that was an appropriate question. Well, when it comes to money matters, when it comes to the business of financial management, The most important question that I could possibly ask of you or be asked of me is, are you tithing? Are you tithing? It may be a very uncomfortable question. It may make us shift in our seats or grind our teeth or wonder why we came this morning. But it's an enormously important question, as I hope you'll come to see. Because when it comes to finances... Tithing is an absolutely essential connection point in your marriage with God. It is one of the most crucial rhythms in the family life of faith. It's the way that we develop the right grip on money matters themselves. In fact, I probably should have begun this entire series we've been in by talking about the subject of tithing, but I didn't because I was afraid that if I did, you wouldn't come back. And I'm so pleased that so many of you have come back. So I'm just going to ask it bluntly. How's it going with tithing in your life? Maybe your response to that question is, what do you mean by tithing? What exactly is tithing? And I think that's a fair question because there's a lot of confusion I've found about this subject. Some people thinking, some people think that tithing is giving to any charitable concern, any time, any amount. And that's not bad, of course. That's not a bad response because, you know, giving in whatever form that it takes is rarely a bad thing. But the Bible is a great deal more specific than that on the subject of tithing. According to Scripture, tithing is giving to the Lord's work the first 10% of your income. It is giving to the Lord's work the first 10% of your income. And because each one of those phrases is important, I just want to dwell for a moment on each of them. Tithing is, first of all, 
giving to the Lord's work. Now, in Old Testament times, when this practice arose, the people of God distinguished between the giving that they did to the various worthy concerns of life and the giving that they did to the temple of God. As we do, the people of that time gave to the government. They had taxes to pay as well. They gave to their families. They were concerned about taking care of their own. They gave alms to the poor, we know from reading the scriptures. But tithing was the very specific commitment that they made to the work of the temple. The Israelites, you see, believed that the temple was the seed house or the storehouse of the Lord's work. They viewed the temple as the place where they came to worship God and get an accurate picture of who this God was because that God and that relationship with God fed everything else in their life. The temple was the place where the hurting could find refuge and often practical assistance. It was the place where the young and the old alike would hear the word of God taught and preached. The temple was the place where the great festivals of the people of God got celebrated and the great values of God's kingdom got lifted up. It was the place where the people of God uh, reminded themselves of who God was and what God had done and what God called them to be about. Now, the temple wasn't the only place where the work of the Lord was being done, but it was from this spiritual storehouse that the seeds of God's truth and grace got scattered out into all the world. And so when the temple was strong, when the people of God were highly committed to its life uh, in substance and in spirit, then the nation's life tended to prosper. But when the life of the storehouse became weak, when the people flagged in their zeal to engaged and invest in the work of the temple, then the temple uh, resulted in the loss of stature and life in the temple resulted in the loss of vitality in the life of the nation as well. Now, we have a word for this kind of storehouse or temple today, and the word is church. Okay, it's the word church or Christian ministry. It's the equivalent of the temple of ancient times. And as I tried to say to to everybody last week, the the church is certainly not the only place where the work of the kingdom of God is being done. Uh, But it is an immensely strategic center for that work. It's It's a radiant center for the expansion of the good work of God. And that is why in our home, the Meyer home, for example, we give about 75% of our tithe directly to our local church. Some of you know that local church. Uh, and we give about 25%, we give the other 25% to a variety of, of great Christian ministries around the corner and around the world. Why do we do that? Well, it's because the church and these Christian ministries do not get government grants in the main. It is because they do not get to support themselves, at least not more than a pittance, by selling products of one kind or another. Uh, the ministry of the church and uh, the wider work of Christian ministry rarely gets contributions for people who are on the outside of the faith. God's design for the church, as for the temple of the olden times, is that it will be supported through the tithes of the people of God. That's the plan. That's the plan. And so the first big idea that I want to underline this morning is that tithing is giving to the work of the Lord that flows through the storehouse out into the world. The second big idea I hope that we'll take with us this morning is that tithing is giving the first fruits of our income to that purpose. Now, 
Proverbs says, and I quote, honor the Lord with your wealth. And then it gives some very specific instructions. With the first fruits of all your crops. Tithing, in other words, is not tossing in what's left over when I've spent my money on everything else. Though I'm tempted to do that. I'll, I'll confess that. Tithing is not waiting till the end of the month or the close of the year, year to find out if there is anything left. Because my experience is usually there's not much after I've spent on everything else that demands my income. Tithing is giving to the Lord's work the first portion of my income. It's writing that check first. Why is that important? Why is giving first fruits so important? Well, for several reasons, the most obvious of which is God belongs first. God belongs first. God is the source of everything. You know, just about a year ago now, I ventured into an outside business involvement beyond what our church here does, and uh, it was a blessing to me. And in fact, some resources came my way as a result of that investment, and the first thing that I did was write a check to the individual that got me into the involvement. I wrote a tithe, a 10% check, to the individual that got me involved in the enterprise, and I presented it to that person, and the individual was shocked, surprised, never expected this, And yet for me, the experience of actually writing that check and giving it to him was the most natural and appropriate thing in the world because I would never have been in the thing, right? I would never have seen the results and the fruits of that venture had it not been for that individual making it possible for me to be there. It was just a simple act of generosity. No, it was not. It was a simple act of gratitude, just of gratitude. How much more is this so in our relationship with God? He is not just a resource. He is the source, right? Of every morning I wake, of every breath I take, right? Of of every decision that I make, he is the ultimate source of life itself. And to give him the first fruits of our lives is not an act of heroism. It is simply an act of gratitude. It's like writing a thank you note. It's like recognizing reality because he is the source. Secondly, giving our first fruits is important because most of us need the reminding that God is first. We just need the reminding. Seeing the auto withdrawal go out of the account or writing that check at the start of the month or putting into the plate at the first day of the week helps us to remember that God belongs first. It puts God first at the front of our lives and not in that leftover afterthought section where the world is always trying to push God, the matters of the Spirit. Jesus was right when he said, and I quote, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Wherever your treasure is, there will be your heart also. Jesus wasn't just saying that how we spend our treasure will reflect our heart, though that's definitely true. I mean, if you want to know about the condition of my heart, look at my Quicken account. It's going to tell you a whole lot about my priorities and my values, no matter what my words say, right? So where our treasure goes does not just reflect our heart, it also affects our heart, affects the condition of our heart. I find that where my money goes, my heart follows. If 
I put my money over there, my heart comes trotting along behind it because it's concerned about where that money's going. And so one of the disciplines, one of the most powerful disciplines of the Christian life, spiritual discipline, is purposely putting our fruits in the hands of God so that our heart follows the concerns of God. We send our money and our heart tends to follow. The third reason for putting God first with our giving is that it has the same beneficial effect that putting your spouse or your kids first with your time does. Does that have any impact when you put your spouse or your kids first with your time? You bet it does. You bet it does. It makes everything better in our family's life, right? You know, we have a saying in our house, if mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. When mama's happy, we're all happy. And sometimes mama ain't happy because we haven't been, we have not been in the game as a family. Or I haven't been in the game as a, as a father and husband in the way that I need to be. But when we put God first, just as when we put these loved ones first, it goes so much better. There's such a greater desire on the part of all to bring what they have to the adventure of life together. And this is very much what Proverbs is getting at. When it it says in uh, one chapter, honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all of your crops, then your barns will be filled to overflowing. Then your vats will be brimming over with new wine. God is saying, if you want me to trust you with more resources, if you want your barns and your vats supplied with even more than you need so that you've got more to give away, then please Put me and my interests first. Put them first. So let me summarize. Tithing is not about giving just anywhere, but about giving to the Lord's work. Tithing is not about giving just any time, but about giving to God first, putting God first. And then third and finally, tithing is not about giving just any amount. Tithing is about giving the first 10% of your income to the Lord's work. It's not whatever you happen to have in your wallet when you're in church. It's not a gift that seems seems really big to you or to me. It's, it's, it's not a gift that is probably better than the next person is giving. That's irrelevant. Tithing comes from the word tenth. Tithe means a tenth. When God says to the prophet Malachi, as he does in Malachi 3, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, he's saying bring the first 10% of your income. A tithe is a tenth. An offering is what you give after you've given the tithe. An offering is what you're giving over the tenth. Okay, I'm just being as blunt and plain about what the Bible teaches as I know how to be. Now, the wonderful grace in this is that it puts all of us on the same footing, right? I mean, this is the beauty of it. I never have to think to myself, oh, Dan, you know, you're just, you're just doing nothing. You're just so miserable. If I'm tithing, I know I'm fulfilling God's commandment. And even though my tithe may be s- small compared to the, to the dollar amount of somebody that's got a larger income, uh, the reality is that even the widow's might, Jesus says, matters profoundly to God. Is every bit, maybe more significant to God 
than the vast, apparently vast gifts of the financier who's actually hardly giving a, uh, only a couple of percent of their income to God's concerns. Right? There are people in this church who are heroic in their generosity who make hardly a thing from the world's measure of wealth. Tithing puts us all on the same level playing ground. Uh, so this is what God tells us. Somebody asked me recently, you know, if, if giving doesn't really feel like a sacrifice at the 10% level, should we give more? Should we give more? And my answer to that question is, don't let pain be your marker when it comes to tithing. Okay? Don't let it be about getting as much pain going in your life as you can. Life's got enough of that. Right? That's not what God's goal is. When he calls us to die to self, it's not for the purpose of pain. It's for the purpose of joy. Let the example of the Macedonian church we talked about last week or of Jesus himself uh, be uh, the pattern for us who for the joy set before him endured the cross, the Bible says. So don't give until it hurts. Give until it brings you joy. And my experience is that many people that are tithers find themselves moved to go beyond that because it brings them such joy to be engaged in this way with God, intimacy with God, and with his work. You know, I will tell you that the question, is it okay if we give more than 10%, comes about a little less frequently to me than this question. Is a tithe before or after taxes? You wondered that, right? Some of us are wondering that. Well, the answer I would give to you that, uh, that question is, I don't care. Pick a number. Pick before or after taxes. Start there. Honor God with the first fruits there. And then just see how God enables you and may how, how God perhaps moves you to do uh, beyond that. Uh, just keep giving till it, it brings you uh, joy. In fact, I would go so far as to say this. If, you get to the, if you've been tithing to Christ church, and you get to the end of the year and you say, this was a terrible mistake. I should never have done this. You come privately to me, we'll refund the money. Dr. DeCreter used to make that promise to every new member class here. If, if you tithe and it doesn't work out, you think it's a terrible disaster, you come to us, we will refund the money. Now, the trustees don't know I've just told you that. <laughs> Break it to them gently. But they have a lot of faith in God. They have a lot of faith in God, so I imagine they'll back that, that, they'll back that promise as well. So, what does it look like to actually do this? Uh, well, we put at the bottom of your worship folder today a simple chart. You can find a more expanded version of it in the uh, Contribute Your Gifts booklet we have out at the information stations. But take a look at the specific numbers. We've shown you there what it would look like to give 3%, 6%, or 10% at your particular income level. Uh, if, if you're like most people... When you look at that kind of hard data, it may raise an eyebrow for you. It may give you pause. Because research shows that the average American churchgoer commits only about 2.6% of their income to the storehouse of God. And that's the evangelical church. That's the people who are apparently most gung-ho for Jesus. 2.6% is the norm in American life today. Now, whether you are far ahead of that statistic or not, 
Let me just finish up today by suggesting three wonderful reasons why it would be great if over the next year, all of us hearing this message could could just start to move up percentage point or two from wherever we happen to be in our actual stewardship towards tithing or maybe even beyond it. The first reason gets suggested by what God says to his people Israel through the prophet Malachi. And I put it up on the projection window for you to read. Ever since the time of your forefathers, he says, you've turned away from my decrees and not kept them. Let me translate that for you. Ever since, for a long, long time, you've gotten absolutely in the habit of, at this point, comfortable with disobedience. You've had the decrees in front of you. It's it's been plain what it is I'm asking of you, says God. But since the time of your forefathers, you've gotten perfectly fine with disobeying me in these areas. That's what God is saying. It's become normal for you to just ignore me on these subjects. And then God goes on and says, will a man rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how do we rob you? And this is how God answers. In tithes and offerings. You're under a curse, the whole nation of you, says God. Because you are robbing me. You are robbing me. Now, please keep in mind that I'm the reporter here, not the critic. Okay? In fact, this report comes at me too. But God's word to us here is stern to get our attention. He's plainly saying to us that he does not think that he's asking too much of us to learn to manage our money in such a way that we are able to reinvest just 10% of it in what he has called us to do in the work of his kingdom. He doesn't think that he's asking us too much. In some ways, it would be like you come up to me after this service, you've been especially fast, you've beat out the kids, you've gotten down there to the fellowship hall, and you've collected a whole box of donuts, right? And then you come back up the hallway and you find me in the line after church and, and, and you open up the box and I look in there and there are these 10 beautiful donuts, still warm, some of them. I mean, they are delicious. And I'm really excited that you've given me this fabulous gift. And then as you sort of say goodbye and you turn away, suddenly you go, oh, oh, gosh, I forgot. Would it be okay if I have one of those back? I ran into somebody down the hallway who looked kind of hungry. And I just would love to give one of those donuts to somebody. I just love it when I get the chance to bless people. I've been able to bless you today. Would you help me bless somebody else? Could I just have one of those back? And I say to you, oh, I, I, I don't know. I, you know, I, I have 97.4% of this committed. Otherwise, of these donuts. I, I could give you maybe 2.6% of the donuts. I could give you maybe a little piece, but you understand, I've got, I've got these other obligations with these donuts. But, but, but would you mind bringing one of these boxes to me next week again? If I responded to you that way, would you say, in, at least inside yourself, that's, that's pretty rude? Would some of you say maybe, that's really ridiculous? God says, That's really robbery. I mean, that is a fundamental failure of moral sense. That's what that is. That's why he uses the word, the harsh word, robbery. It's a fundamental failure of moral sense 
when we cannot figure out some way to manage all of these donuts, all of these resources he's supplied in such a way that we could commit just 10% of it back to invest in the very specific purposes of the kingdom of God. It bugs him. It bugs him when we don't. It bugs him in part, I think, for the second reason that I want to highlight. God wants to bless us. <laughs> you know, he wants to work through us. He wants to pour out his resources to us and through us for the blessing of other people too. In fact, that's why God goes on and says, as he does after this commitment statement about tithing, he says, bring the whole tenth or the whole tithe into the storehouse. And then he says, test me in this says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you won't have enough room for it. There are hardly any places in Scripture where God ever says, test me. In fact, we're told elsewhere, don't put God to a test. Here he says, bring it on, test me. You start managing money my way, test me and see if I will not pour out more blessing to enable you to keep doing it, to keep serving my kingdom. Can you imagine how much blessing God could pour out through just this one congregation sitting here today if we were managing money God's way, if we trusted and tested God in this way. I ran the numbers this week. I was curious to figure it out, to get very concrete. I found out that the average household income in DuPage County is $111,000. Now, I know some of us sitting in this room, we aren't earning close to that amount of money. Some of us are without jobs, frankly. But some of us are earning considerably more than that. Hence, the average, it's a dependable number, $111,000. About $80,000 after taxes, if you're wondering. About $80,000 after taxes. Now, if all of the households in our congregation were tithing on this average after-tax income, the higher ones making up for the lower ones, and it meets in the middle. If all of us were tithing on that after-tax income, forget the before, the annual capacity of Christ Church of Oakbrook to invest in our children and youth ministries, to minister to the elderly and the shut-in, to support the local and the global mission enterprise of the church, to plant new churches, the annual capacity of our church to do these things, if everybody were, were tithing, would go up by $15 million a year. It would go up from where it is by $15 million a year. Think of the lives that we could help to change if blessings like that were moving through the church and out into the Lord's work. There is one last reason to move toward or beyond tithing. The first reason is because if we aren't tithing, we're robbing God. The second reason is he's got work for us to do. He's got blessings he wants to give, and we're missing out on them. But the last reason to move toward tithing or beyond it, if you're already there, could be illustrated with a story I'd like to tell you in closing. Back in the days when an ice cream sundae cost much less than it does today. Have you been to Cold Stone lately? It's gotten a little pricey. But back in the olden days, a 10-year-old boy entered a hotel coffee shop and he sat down at a table. 
A waitress put a glass of water right there in front of them, and the little boy asked very timidly, how much is an ice cream sundae? 50 cents, said the waitress. 50 cents. Hmm. The little boy reached into his pocket. He pulled out a handful of change. He studied the coins that were there in his hand, and then he looked up at the waitress and he said, how much is a dish of plain ice cream? And uh, some people were now getting uh, a little impatient. The waitress was taking her time with the little boy, and she was getting impatient. 35 cents, she said, brusquely. The little boy counted out the coins, and then he looked at her and he said, I'll have the plain ice cream. I'll have the plain ice cream. The waitress then brought the ice cream. She put the bill on his table. She walked away. The boy finished the ice cream. He paid the cashier. He then walked out of the place. And when the waitress came back, she began wiping down the table, and then she swallowed hard at what she saw. Because there, placed neatly beside the empty ice cream bowl, were two nickels and five pennies. Her tip. Is there anything more beautiful than someone who's willing to make a sacrifice in order to do what is right and what is good? Is there anything so beautiful as that? Don't you want to have a beautiful life? I mean, don't you? Not just a prosperous life, a beautiful life. I know that I do. I know that I do. So let's make a fresh beginning. Let's test God on his promise to supply us with the capacity to keep on giving. Let's study carefully and practice diligently what the Bible teaches us about money matters. Please pray with me.